My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. And then behind my back in about week three, when I'm supposed to go and take the other job, he goes behind my back and uh, goes talks to the partner. And he says, I don't want the other guy. I like this guy. He's good with the clients. I want to keep him instead. And that was one of the best things that ever happened to me. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with founder and principal advisor at property tax specialist Shukri Barbara. He immigrated to Australia from Sudan when he was just 13 years old, studying commerce and marketing and eventually converted his lecturers to clients. He went on from making $4,000 in a year to being one of Australia's most sought-after tax specialists. Barbara has been practicing since 1985 and has always been against being labeled as just one thing. From 2000, uh, we focused it on uh, people with investments in property. So people will say, look, you're a property tax specialist, you know, property. No, we, we try and think about people because people is really what the critical part is. Uh, so it's people who invest in property. Uh, that may be ownership, that may be direct residential investment, commercial investments, uh, f- uh, building, uh, construction, uh, subdivisions, a whole lot of range of that happens in there. But the important part is people. They're the critical element and that's who we're trying to help to get them to achieve their goals overall. Uh, and in the process, we try and make tax simple. Uh, in order for them to appreciate where it's coming from, how it's going to impact and what the issues are going to be there. And within that, we're trying to say, well, okay, look, if we can just make sure you keep the money there by protecting your assets, right, by trying to get you to pay as little as possible in tax, uh, legally, of course, uh, and, and, you know, keeping the ATO offside. We don't want them unhappy, so we want to keep them on our side. So offside the bad things, we don't want to be there. We, look, there's plenty of opportunity even within the legislation that the, that the government and the ATO put up. These days, he's mostly dealing with inquiries and consultations regarding the ever-changing market. Well, look, since uh, Amir has joined me uh, as a partner in the practice, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of the uh, phone calls. Uh, I'll take uh, uh, an inquiries coming through. At the moment, what we've got is a 
you know, the market that has shifted has created a lot of queries around capital gains tax because everybody wants to readjust, sell, uh, and uh, buying is a bit harder at this point because the market is just so expensive. Uh, but people are trying to subdivide in order to maximize. So we return calls, we discuss with them, then we organize initial consults. And uh, in the initial consult, what we're trying to do is really just understand the client. So we get them to tell us about themselves, and then we talk about how the we explain to them the basics and then try and fit their situation into there and start to give them directions. Apart from that, I do review the tax returns and sign off on some tax returns. Uh, I uh, try and uh, train and advise my team uh, wherever we're going in order, and you know, and there's a lot of research at the moment, as you've seen from the budget that's been announced a couple of days ago, the massive lot of changes that are coming through, right? So not only do we have to maintain that, the government keeps changing it, on top of which they keep changing the technology associated. So, you know, we've got to keep all that going all the time. And uh, sometimes they just, uh, it, it just becomes a little bit too much. So we've got to take a step back just to put it in focus. Uh, but overall, the tax office from, say, 10, 15 years ago are uh, doing pretty well in terms of, uh, react, you know, working with the agents and for us to be able to access the data they have on our clients. That's been fantastic. That's really been fantastic. So a credit to them as far as that goes. But the downside to that is that uh, they know when you've gone to sleep and when you've got up and uh, uh, when you're going to have your milk and breakfast and, uh, you know, and sometimes uh, that becomes a little bit difficult because you just can't get away from it. No, I totally agree. Everything's so technology, digitalized, everything's online. Like I was surprised when I first saw my bank statements were all synced across into the tax port. I was like, what? Since when did that happen? They, they've been going for years, mate. Uh, for about 20, 25 years, they've been putting massive amount of dollars every year and until they've reached this point today. He has three daughters, aged 16, 15 and 12. So it's safe to say mornings are pretty busy in the Barbara household. You can imagine the first thing is trying to get everybody out and, uh, you know, Dad, uh, you're going my way, can you drop me off to school? Or uh, uh, it's really early, I've got that early class, I've got my eldest, she takes a little bit extra maths. So she says, oh, well, look, I've got to be at the school at 7.30, so I've got to leave about 7, so I've got to wake up at about 6 uh, in order to make sure everything is done, you know. Uh, and then, of course, if there's anything left over from cleaning up the night before, then I just clean it up and make sure before I leave. So, uh, you know, their mother is pretty happy with things and happy with me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and then we try and get them across. And uh, then when I come to the office, uh, generally, I like to take a walk. Uh, just to exercise, especially in winter, it's a bit cold. You can't really do it early in the morning, which I used to. In the summer, I, I would get up six o'clock. That'd be beautiful. Go out there, just go for a walk, stretch out, you know, uh, you know, say a little prayer here and there, and just clears your mind up a little bit. And uh, when I get to the office these days, I'll just rug up and you know go for a walk around, or go and pick up the mail, or and uh, in addition, I just add a couple of steps up, a couple of steps down, just to get that exercise in. And, and then we come back and we, we open up the emails and uh, check out what's happening and uh, review what's being carried forward from yesterday. He was born in Sudan in North Africa and immigrated to Australia in 1970 when he was just 13 years old. Believe it or not, uh, you know, if you're religious or not, we came on the 1st of December 
And the night before, we arrived here about seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And the night before, uh, Pope Paul VI had arrived and the place was absolutely chockers. We could not get accommodation. And of course, we didn't understand that a, uh, a motel is actually accommodation, right? So we were looking for hotel, right? And hotel just didn't, didn't come up. So motel, at the end of the day, when somebody told us, look, there's a motel, yes, okay. So we all ended up there and arrived the first day here. So uh, I, I guess the Pope blessed the country for us and said, well, you know, come on in. So from where we left, uh, where we had uh, a revolution and there was a military coup and things were pretty tough and, you know, we had to go out on the quiet uh, down to this beautiful country. Uh, the disappointment, of course, is we couldn't see the kangaroos running across the road. I was walking out of the airport. I was looking for the kangaroos, mate. Where's the kangaroos? Where's the koalas? <laughs> That's it. And then this bloke, the porter, comes up to my mother, you know, and he says, uh, uh, you migrants, hey? And, and, you know, like my mother knows English, you know. She's the, the queen's English, you know. It's not migrants, it's immigrants, right? And she's just totally baffled because she's walking in with this leopard coat in the middle of summer, right, and trying to get everything across through the, uh, through the customs and, uh, and, you know, this guy comes up, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Listen, I just whacked the bag over there. I'll take it. <laughs> it was really a lovely way to start. And then, you know, uh, she just looked baffled. And then my father sees the situation and he asks the same thing of my father. And then he says, uh, look, my, my name is Habib. Oh, yeah, New Australians. Yeah, right. Okay, just put the bag up there. I'll take it. <laughs> so that was my introduction, mate, uh, on the first day of coming to Australia. He looks back fondly on growing up in Sudan, where he experienced a happy and carefree childhood. Uh, Sudan was a, a lovely. I was a real kid, didn't really know very much. We were uh, out there. We were the minority, kind of being white and Christian. Uh, but still, you know, we had uh, uh, other people of other religions in the school, the Catholic schools there. And, uh, and you know, we had the communities in, in where I was, what I can remember, uh, in the areas. We had the... the uh, my grandparents were Syrian, my grandmothers, and so that's pretty much our background uh, overall. But my parents and myself, we were all born in Sudan, right? And within the groups, there was always, you know, Italians, Greeks, uh, Egyptians, uh, and everybody had their own little club. And in the space we were living, you know, we cooperated, sort of played around, particularly when we got to school together. And, you know, it was terrific. At home, we had nice, big sort of colonial-type homes. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it was a lovely way. It was supported. Uh, you know, we, we had fun. We had absolute fun. I had no idea about life until we got out. Right? And then we got out in this uh, shock that, uh, you know, I got out with mum and my sister before dad had to come out. So on the basis that we're going out on holidays. Uh, and then dad managed to, you know, finalize things quietly and get out as well. And of course, in the process, uh, you know, all the money that was came out as nothing uh, when you got it out because you couldn't really take money out. Uh, officially, the Sudanese pound was equal to the sterling pound, but uh, unofficially, because you could only get 10 cents in the dollar for it. Uh, so, you know, we came out uh, as it was, uh, and we left uh, whatever it was behind, and it was quite an experience to come out here and learn about the new way of doing things, the, uh, uh, you know, more Anglo-Saxon type style. So when we came out, uh, we were the, you know, I was the wog and the camel driver. 
right? You don't hear those terms much often these days in school. And so we tried really hard to assimilate, to get on with life, you know? We didn't want to be different. We wanted to be the same. But, of course, with a name like Shukri, uh, that was pretty hard. So I remember, I remember my first couple of weeks in school, this bloke comes up to me and you know, puts his arm around my shoulder and says, Hey, get out, mate. How you going? I sort of looked at him and I says, uh, My name is not Mike. It's Shukri. <laughs> then he says, Oh, yeah. Yeah, New Australian. Yeah, no, no, get out. How you going? And then I found out later on that he was actually Spanish. I had experiences through the first year trying to learn about what football really is. I knew football is a round ball you kick not an eggy kind ball that you go kill people to get, you know, and uh, sort of pass on. And, uh, and that was my introduction to rugby, uh, you know, the first time. And, uh, and then uh, the first time I played, actually, they found out that I could run. They gave me the ball and they said, run. So I ran and I scored two tries. Well, the old boys didn't like it then very much. So the next time, the next week we came along, they gave me the ball specifically so they can all pile up on top of me, both teams. And then when I got up, I could see, oh, my jaw hurts. I couldn't exactly work out why my jaw hurts. And then, you know, later on in the playground, two kids, you know, they're sitting around. Oh, I got him. I got him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. That's the way the game is played. Keep it. I went to athletics. <laughs> yeah, by the time we got around to fifth form, you know, I was the eldest, uh, more or less. I was the first one to get my driver's license, and I was showing off by bringing my father's old station wagon Falcon, uh, 1970s style, into the into the into the school, you know. And uh, you know, by that stage, we were trying to get to the pub, and uh, you know, it was uh, it was it was all right. By that stage, it was quite quite a good experience. Wow. How many kids did you have in your family? How many siblings? Uh, there's about three of us, uh, but uh, my eldest brother, he was, uh, he was overseas for a while and, uh, you know, uh, he, uh, he was actually in, um, in uh, Jordan and he was in Jerusalem specifically. Uh, you know, he was trying to be a priest at the time and before the takeover and uh, when, the, when these rallies took over the place, so they limited sort of access in and out. Uh, but anyway, he finished there and then he went to work because he had language skills. Uh, he found himself uh, with a with a, a group, and uh, he was actually translating for the Italian um, uh, surgeons who were helping out in the war, in the civil war there. And uh, and then he was a reporter, and so he was reporting for the Italian news agency as well as a as a news reporter. And then when he got caught one time going between right and left, uh, we arranged for him to come here. And then I've got my sister. Yeah, he's a bit older than me, and my sister's about you know nine years younger than me, and she's uh, quite a dynamo. She she's very good at what she does. Yeah, I can't really share what she does because it's a bit secure. But uh, uh, you know, uh, she she got on pretty well. There's uh, some government affiliation, so I can't I can't really talk about it. Not that I know because she doesn't really tell me the details. Uh, yeah, but, but uh, some of the stuff you've heard in the budget uh, uh, this week was uh, a little bit of her work, uh, the background work, trying to bring people into Australia, uh, the technology side, right? Rather, rather than be out in um, in um, the United States, uh, you know, uh, bring the Australians who are in the United States back in to improve our lot down here. Coming up after the break, we hear about Barbara's travels, 
then I I, uh, I sort of changed tack. I sold a little bit of the practice, kept some of the practice, and continued on. Took a little bit of a break because I by that stage I was a bit burnt out, and uh, decided to uh, to take a, a a little bit of a break. And the company that helped him gain valuable confidence. Uh, in 1985, I joined the group called Swap, salespeople with a purpose. And the experience I gained through being part of that club is fantastic. Uh, you know, they taught me how to stand up and talk, and uh, they taught us how to be comfortable and, you know, do things. And then they made me into the treasurer. He shares a time when everything changed and he needed to adapt. But the key was in 1985, we just kicked off in the practice and they introduced capital gains tax and uh, you know imputation credits and dividend franking and all of that stuff just came in you know like we were sitting there and said well I didn't take all that at uni. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey Property Investor. Is your cash or equity currently earning you 1-2% to per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a high return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Barbara is grateful for being an Australian university student at the time of the Whitlam government. Thank you to uh, Gough Whitlam and uh, the Labor Party at the time. I got educated for free. So university university was a free education for me uh, and uh, my sister, she paid a little bit but still relatively free. Uh, so uh, that was great. That was absolutely a gift to, you know, uh, the, the wogs and the things coming up with no money and uh, nowhere to go. And what did you study at university? I did want to study medicine, but I never quite made the mark. So we went into commerce and uh, did accounting major and went from there. And then uh, quite a few years later, I did uh, do a postgraduate in marketing. So I was running an accounting practice and trying to do marketing uh, as well. So that was that was quite interesting. So trying to understand how to market the practice after that. So it was quite quite good experience. It was on average a couple of years. Yeah, it just depends on how many subjects you take per per term per uh, semester. Yeah, I finished it in two years. By the time I by the time I finished, I actually converted three of my lecturers as clients. That's, that's great to hear. That's what you want, I guess. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I must have listened to their marketing and did it right. Yeah, you just basically put it back to them and say, "By the way, guys, this is what you should be doing." <laughs> yeah, because you know I was a bit older and a lot of the kids were a lot younger, but uh, you know what I was saying made sense to them, and so they came across. Uh, so it was, uh, for me, that was quite uh, quite satisfactory, you know, to see that. We've done things right. After finishing university in 1985, he went straight out to work, taking on an intern position. I went to work. I remember for Brambles at the time as a, as a as an intern type thing, 
uh, in the audit section. And then uh, after I finished my exams, uh, and I had to repeat one of the subjects. So uh, after I finished that, I was looking for working in the uh, uh, public accounting, chartered accounting sort of area. And I managed to get one of those jobs. And at that time, I was being brought in to cover a particular area where the client, where the, the, the firm had a client who was a managed fund of sorts. And uh, they wanted to make sure, because at that time there were some big crashes, and they wanted to make sure that every, every check that the, fir- that the company, the client uh, pays out is audited. So I was supposed to come in, be brought in, and replace a guy who was doing that. For three, because I started on the 30th of June and that was the end of the financial year, the guy had to finish off for the, for the year. So they put me through with the audit part or one of the audit managers, right? And for me, who didn't know what an invoice was, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. So he took me out on the on the audit trail and, you know, we discovered all how all these companies work and where they come from and, you know, looking at the invoices and how payments are made. And, and then behind my back in about week three when I'm supposed to go and take the other job, he goes behind my back and uh, goes talks to the partner. And he says, I don't want the other guy. I like this guy. He's good with the clients. I want to keep him instead. And that was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because by then I went out, I saw clients, I saw how things were done, I, I talked, I, I learned about business uh, just from an audit perspective. And then after that, uh, I was doing that for about a bit over a year, he went and started and joined another fellow as partners in a firm and he headhunted me. So I went out with him focusing on tax rather than audit. And then just it, it went. Yeah, it went from there. I went to, I think it was Reader's Digest. I went to work at Reader's Digest for a little bit. And uh, I got involved a little bit in politics. Uh, so I uh, got a bit busy there and then left Reader's Digest. And uh, by 19, I had the opportunity. They were changing the laws regarding membership and giving out practicing certificates for accountants. And so I took the opportunity, uh, just using my experience rather than have to sit for more exams and things, and got my practicing certificate with CPA. And uh, from 85 onwards, I joined a friend of mine to uh, start up a practice. So uh, with more balls than brains, really. Uh, and so we, we kicked off and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, did things all the wrong marketing way. I can tell you now from experience, uh, you know, we were putting things in letterboxes and, you know, come and do it, do your tax returns. And these were the days where you had to do it manually or type it up or all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and, and then, and that's how we kicked off. Later on, uh, we split with the partner and, uh, and then, uh, you know, we, uh, I just kept going by myself right up at, until uh, 19, uh, uh, 99. After working non-stop for so many years, he took some time off to travel. Then I, I, uh, I sort of changed tack. I sold a little bit of the practice, kept some of the practice and continued on. Took a little bit of a break because I, by that stage I was a bit burnt out and uh, decided to, uh, to take a, a, a little bit of a break and uh, you know, um, I also met this girl and we said, you know, we're going to, she was going to, she was an Irish girl running, you know, still got a world tour of ticket. I said, look, I'm on holidays. I'll go with you. So we went around uh, Europe uh, and uh, firstly, actually, we went to America where I attended uh, my cousin's wedding in Canada. 
and then came around to the United States where my uncle lives and uh, saw that and then uh, started our journey around uh, uh, South America, which is really what she wanted to do because she had seen most of the other world and, you know, so in between uh, Argentina, Chile, um, and then Cusco in, uh, in um, I can't remember the country where Cusco is. Uh, anyway, you know, where, there's, where the Incas and so forth were at. That was really an experience, I can tell you. It's a really an experience there. And then back to Europe to see her family and, and so forth. And, uh, and that, was, uh, that was an interesting exercise. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you what, by the time I, uh, I came back, I was glad I'm in Australia. <laughs> you can't imagine. This is the best country ever. Best country ever. I was so glad. In 2000, we came back, you know, and there was a few of these ads, you know, how to make, how to be rich out of property without a starting point. Okay, that's what they kept saying. I've always seen these ads and heard about them, but I've never really gone to see it. So having a bit of time on my hands, I decided to go and, you know, go to a free seminar and just sit down and listen. And then the guy comes up and he says, well, you can make rich wealth through property. And then he's saying, yeah, but you've got to have your team around you. I, I can't tell you. He's still telling everybody. He says, I, I can't tell you. You've got to have your accountant, your lawyer and whatever. So I looked at the guy next door and I looked at the other guy on the other side. I said, I can tell you because I know all that stuff from the tax side. I said, I can tell you. So we followed that guy a little bit and wrote on his, on his sort of wave of creating interest in property as a class of asset. And so we came up, uh, they wanted me to advertise in their magazine and their, uh, their manager, who was an excellent guy, Ruben Buchanan, he was a terrific solicitor, very smart guy at the moment. He helps people get into an IPOs and all that sort of stuff. And we came up with the name Property Tax Specialist. And that's where we started to focus on people with investments in property. We always had it running, but we kicked it off again because we did a few other things. And that was, uh, you know, we supported associations. So we were the back office for professional bodies. And, uh, but, you know, uh, uh, they, they really, the, the margins were just so small and uh, uh, they favored people they knew from their own group rather than us. Uh, so we did that for a while. We actually uh, learned a lot. Uh, uh, in 1985, I joined the group called SWAP salespeople with a purpose and the experience I gained through being part of that club is fantastic. Uh, you know, they taught me how to stand up and talk and uh, they taught us how to be comfortable and, you know, do things. And then they made me into the treasurer. The first meeting I went there, they made me into the treasurer and that was the best experience because the guy who ran the place, a guy called John Nevin, he really built me up hugely. So that was fantastic, yeah. And I was invited there by a lady who used to run. Uh, uh, she's actually a diamond in Amway, a diamond rich in Amway. So we learned a lot through her and Amway as well. Uh, a lot of experience. So all I can add it to is life experience, which helps in understanding people and the people's journey and their aspirations of where they want to go and what they want to do. One of the other associations we, we also helped run is something called National Speakers Association. And that was great because they talk about how to present properly. And, you know, I'm there tick, tick, ticking the names off. And once everybody is in, I go and sit down and listen. So it was a great experience to, to hear how these guys operate. He bought his first property around 1983 in Hurstfield 
but didn't fully commit to his property journey until 1985. Uh, it went up and, uh, you know, uh, for a while there, then when I started the practice, I needed the money, right? Uh, and so I sold it. I did make some gains on it. Uh, at the time, capital gains started to come in, so I paid some capital gain, and, uh, and uh, you know, which didn't help overall. But the key was in 1985, we just kicked off in the practice and they introduced capital gains tax and uh, you know imputation credits and dividend franking and all of that stuff just came in you know like we were sitting there and said well I didn't take all that at uni so we had to learn all these new things coming through right and and then going going forward so and and you know you can imagine my first year in uh, in being in practice uh, starting from June uh, 85 I only made 4000 bucks yeah, I was sharing a flat. We used to have uh, pizza on Monday, uh, you know, uh, uh, we'll have uh, pasta on Tuesday and put the rest in the fridge for Wednesday and Thursday, and Friday we go over the mums. And then we started the journey. So property was a bit limited for me in terms of the fact that uh, what I didn't want to do, I didn't want my parents to, to help me. Uh, I wanted to do it on my own, so I didn't have the cash to do property. So what we did is by the time we came into uh, focusing on property, we helped a lot of people, right? We helped a lot of people because we could understand the journey. We could understand people. And that's the whole idea. It's about people, right? Wealth can be made. And of course, dad had a lot of properties and we had it as a family. We had family properties out at Belmore and uh, around those areas. We had a couple of unit blocks until uh, at one stage dad got sick of uh, having to tell the agent to fix things up. And one time it went really bad. So what we did is we actually sold them. So we sold them and then we re I restructured them. By that stage, I was into the practice pretty well. And we, re we restructured the whole property things and we, we, you know, made it into the kids' properties. So rather than go to the bank, we borrowed from the family, right? And restructured it in a way where the family can also access other benefits, right? And so, uh, and then after that, of course, uh, I got married. And when you get married, mate, you can't save a cent. So since I got married, I, haven't, I just spent it all. Right? So I didn't, uh, and, and you know, it didn't help that I also lost money on the uh, stock market. Uh, some of the gains I made from the first property, uh, there was the dot-com uh, crash, took a little bit of it, and then uh, – we were working together with someone uh, before the September 11 planes and that caught us out because we were doing in derivatives and we actually, he, he took us from about five, six of us from, from 300,000 to about 650 in six months. And the mistake we made is we didn't pull the profit out because the crash came in and the broker says it's a margin call. And, of course, the guy running the things was just outside of Brisbane. He didn't have the connections to say, look, we got the money. He wanted – the broker didn't want to take the risk. He wanted the money like immediately. 12 o'clock midnight is when he called. So that wiped us out. So from there on, we just sort of stuck with property, which is less volatile. And, uh, and uh, you know, we just help people because now we understand when to do things, how to do things. Uh, but a lot of the time – what we do is we facilitate for them because property is a different kind of animal, right? And when you want to create wealth through property, you look at your strategy. You've got to have a strategy.
Now, you got to start with a strategy. Uh, are you going to hold long time? Are you going to do uh, short term? Uh, you know, are you going to develop? Are you going to, you know, there's a number of very basic uh, strategies. And as long as you focus really clearly on those, you can get ahead. Shukri Barber's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. He divulges what's most important to him business-wise. Well, look, we've always said that uh, uh, what, what, what do the clients want at the end of the day? Because, you know, the first thing is, of course, uh, the clients, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care, right? So once we've established that relationship of trust, then we try and understand where they're at. He tells us about one particular happy client. Because in all the years he lived in it, he didn't get any rent. So all that forms part of your cost base. So now it's on break even. He's got a little bit of a capital loss. So there's no tax. We discussed the importance of timing. If you're going to save some money by doing that, we compare the savings with the cost. If it's going to take you two years and you're going to make it up, okay, that's not too bad. If it's going to take you 10 years to make it up, Well, why pay the cash now? And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short six months. To register interest, Text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.